Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Purnell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful vegan business. And if you want to go beyond this podcast and connect with our community of like-minded vegan entrepreneurs, then head over to veganbusinesstribe.com, as well as being able to get support from Lisa and myself and our amazing vegan community. You can also attend our online meetups. You can get access to our workshops. You can be part of our community hub on Slack with hundreds of other vegan business owners. And you can even study our vegan marketing course. Where else are you going to find that? And just be part of a wonderful community of vegan business people just like you. And we're always really grateful to our members because they're the people who means that we can keep recording this podcast every week and putting out all our content on the website and running all our sessions in our business clinics and just generally doing everything we can to support vegan business worldwide. And we've also just relaunched our membership options. So if you're not yet completely ready to get involved yet and join up, then that's fine because you can now sign up as a fan for free and still get access to our weekly email and our weekly content. You can also sign up as a full member and that's £12.99 a month. And that's where you get full access to the website, our community and all the support you need to grow a successful vegan business. Now, a few Few people have also been asking if they can set up something like a corporate membership to support Vegan Business Tribe or just to be able to make a donation to give back to the vegan business scene and help us support the vegan business sector. And we're especially humbled and grateful for anybody who wants to help us out in that way. So, you know, remember, we've only been going for just over a year and a lot of that time we've been self-funded. So we've also just launched our patron membership tier, which gives the same full access to everything, but also allows you to give more to help us help more vegan businesses grow. Okay, so slightly different this episode, because I don't know if you've got involved with Clubhouse yet, you know, the audio social media app. And don't worry, we're not doing an episode about Clubhouse. Well, not quite yet. But I was invited onto a Clubhouse session on vegan investing last week. And it was fair to say there was only one company on the lips of everyone asking questions of a panel. And that was Oatly. Now, If you don't know who Oatly are, well, first, where have you been for the last few years? But second, they're the Swedish oat milk company who have been disrupting the marketplace and they're tipped to be the next beyond meat in terms of who you should be investing in for explosive growth over the next couple of years. But with all that disruption has come a deal of controversy. 
Because in 2020, during their funding round to raise $200 million, they sold 10% of the business to the Blackstone Group, who are an American private equity fund with, if we're being fair, a checkered history of what projects they've chosen to finance, including links to projects causing rainforest deforestation. Now, this led to a very high-profile backlash from some of Oatly's biggest fans, demanding a boycott of the product. Oatly have also recently been criticised for heavy-handedness in threatening small, family-owned milk producers with legal action, with, if we've been honest, quite shaky footing for doing so. For example, saying that the name Pure Oaty is an infringement of their Oatly copyright. So what's going on with Oatly? What's become of the company that used to say on its actual packaging that the reckless pursuit of profit should be criminal? Now, as any challenger brand grows, can it keep to the same ethos that made it so popular with its fans in the first place? Or if you scale up a business, do you just become one of the companies that you are fighting against? And is it the case that with vegan companies, we hold them in higher regard than we do non-vegan ones? For example, calling to boycott Oatly while still happily shopping at your local supermarket that invests heavily in animal products. Well, this is the first point that we need to clear up because Oatly, well, it isn't a vegan company. And this might come as a shock to you because they get described as one all the time. But Oatly's founder was Professor Richard Usta, who brought together a team of scientists in the 1990s following research showing that the majority of the world's population was, in some form, lactose intolerant. Oatly was to be the answer to that. And as far as I can find out, no one who had any major involvement with Oatly was vegan or promoting the vegan agenda. Their advertising slogan, it's like milk but made for humans, that comes from the research into lactose intolerance, not from any ethical standpoint. Because milk is by its nature, a food substitute for babies. And we're not supposed to keep consuming baby food throughout our lives, which is why studies show that as we age, our bodies become more intolerant to milk. But that strapline, it's like milk but made for humans, it is such a good slogan. And it's one that also fits the vegan agenda really well, which is why so many of us vegans adopted Oatly as one of our own. And that suited Oatly, well, just fine. Because the company didn't really start to gain visibility until 2014, when it was actually sued by a Swedish dairy lobby for the damage Oatly's advertising was causing to the good name of milk. Now, the thing you have to know is in Sweden, dairy is big business. In 1990, the population of Sweden consumed a third more dairy milk than the whole of the population of the USA. The Swedish dairy industry, it's like the gun lobby in the US. They hold a lot of power, they're well-funded, and they aggressively defend the dairy industry. 
But all their lawsuit achieved was making more people aware of Oatly and also of positioning Oatly as the challenging ethical underdog. The Dairy Lobby's lawsuit, it claimed that Oatly was saying that milk was old-fashioned and unmodern. It said that they were misleading customers and scaring them into thinking that milk is dangerous. And surprisingly, they won. And Oatly were fined £100,000. But their sales during that time were reported as increasing by 45% as a result of a legal action. In fact, after the lawsuit was lost, Oatly's CEO, Tony Peterson, commented, maybe they should have tried getting sued by somebody sooner as marketing activity. So... Even though Oatly hits a lot of the right vegan notes with their product and their seemingly pro-vegan slogans, the truth is they are not a vegan company. Their founder has spoken about how he believes that dairy isn't inherently bad. It's the intensive farming methods that are. But the race to be the leader in plant milk, it's high stakes. Sales of oat milk are expected to grow 13.4% a year over the next five years and reach $6.8 billion in 2026. Indeed, Oatly's own sale figures in 2020 were over $420 million. And we've spoken about this on other podcasts. That kind of demand... That can't be just from vegans. Even if we were all bathing in the stuff daily, Oatly wouldn't be able to grow at the rate it is unless the majority of its consumers were not vegans. They know this. The marketplace knows this and the dairy industry knows it, which is why they're getting so upset by it. Oatly are actively stealing their customers. But it also means that... Any boycotts by the small percent of their customer base that are vegan because of who they accept funding from, they're not necessarily welcome, but they don't actually make a dent in their progress either. So let's take a look at the reality of what has been happening at Oatly. Because although the company was born out of a need to supply a milk alternative for lactose intolerance, that's not the basis of a great marketing campaign. So sustainability soon became the focus of Oatly's message. And if a company launches itself on the mission of producing a product in a sustainable way, then the idea of being involved with supermarkets who are very much linked with the meat and dairy products that they were fighting against, then that's not a great ethical fit for the brand. And this is why, for a long time, Oatly actively shunned the supermarkets, instead choosing to sell through independent health store retailers. But they knew... If they wanted to reach out to a wider audience with their message, i.e. the majority of the population who do not shop in health stores, and convert them to a plant-based alternative to milk, then would it be better to go into partnerships with these supermarkets to bring change from within, so to put the product where these people are? 
And although Oatly say that this was an ethical dilemma for them to decide to sell through supermarkets, the reality was that they probably just didn't have the market penetration to get taken up by the supermarkets in the early days. However, whether this tale was retro-spun or not, we are exceedingly grateful that Oatly did end up in the supermarkets because that compromise opened up a whole new category for all the other plant-based brands that followed them. They showed that a supermarket could give up shelf space to plant milks and make money from doing so. And it's this same idea which is the basis of their defence for taking money from huge and, at best, ethically neutral investment funds like Blackstone. If they are going to continue to have a big impact on the marketplace at the scale that they need to spend to do that globally, then you need to take investment to get there. And there is a question mark over if enough investment is available that is completely untainted, that just comes from ethically proven sources. But Oatly seemed to engage with the Blackstone Group in full knowledge of the controversy surrounding some of the other ventures that their $4 trillion of investment has also funded in the past. So can Oatly engage with Blackstone and prove that they can make as much profit from backing sustainable, ethical companies such as theirs? Could this even steer and influence other funds to actively look to back more plant-based companies by seeing the market leader in investment finding success in more ethical investment opportunities? Well, it's a strong argument from Oatly. Can they make change from within. If they're going to change what kind of companies these huge investment funds support to get them to move their money away from oil and gas and the meat and dairy industries, then Oatly need to speak the language that these investment companies understand. Now, I doubt I will ever lead a company that is valued in the billions of dollars like Oatly. So it's hard to make a full and fair judgment on how they made their decisions. But one thing I do know is that I will always run a vegan business. And this is where the conflict lies. So remember that although Oatly sets out its stall as an ethical business, it isn't a vegan one. So as much as we love the company and what they've done in terms of bringing plant milk into the mainstream, their ethics are not 100% aligned with our own as vegan consumers. There are indeed ethical, vegan-founded and vegan-run investment funds out there. We have Beyond Animal and Beyond Investing, headed up by Claire Smith, who launched the world's first vegan-friendly and climate-conscious stock index and exchange-traded fund. We have Veg Capital, which was created by Veganuary founder Matthew Glover and funds a wide range of vegan brands, including Oatly's competitors, The Mighty Pea, a newly launched vegan fried chicken, or VFC as they're known. So if Oatly had been fully aligned with a vegan mission, would they have looked harder for funding alternatives to someone like Blackstone? And it's this realisation that actually 
Oatly's ethics have some flexibility in order for them to meet their mission, a mission that isn't rooted in veganism. Oatly's CEO, Tony Peterson, was interviewed for Goldman Sachs in 2020, and he was asked the question, how do you balance doing good and the P&L, or the profit and loss sheet, when you have investors? And Tony answered that it was a question that owners of companies should discuss in depth. He answered that sometimes you have to give up margins to do good. Sometimes you have to give up profitability to do good. And then you have to make sure that your investors think it's worth it. And if you decide that you don't agree with Oatly's business choices, then we are free to buy other oat milks. In fact, as conscious consumers, we should base what we buy on if we support how that company does business and how it operates. It would also probably be cheaper if you bought from one of their competitors. Oatly costs between £1.80 to over £2 a carton in the shops. It is a designer brand. And I can buy Aldi's own brand oat milk for less than half that price. But are these other brands any more ethical than Oatly? And this is where we realise what a mess we can get ourselves into and where consumer choices lead us to face a lot of our own hypocrisy. So, Alpro is one of the largest producers of milk alternative products in Europe, claiming that they've got 40% of a plant-based dairy alternative sector. But they are owned by France's largest dairy producer, Danone. Last year in the UK, a new brand hit supermarket shelves called Yord, promoted as a Nordic oat drink. Yord is actually Arla Foods' entry into plant-based, one of Europe's biggest milk producers. But you won't find any mention of that on the packaging. And because Arla produced the majority of supermarkets' own brand dairy milk also... It's probably why they were able to secure such good product placement on the supermarket shelves. Take a look at the other independent Altmilk brands and you won't find many vegans behind them. It's only when you go further down the ladder and actually start shopping back in the health food stores or buying direct that you will find the truly vegan plant milk businesses. And we've got... Some amazing people doing phenomenal things in this sector. One of our Vegan Business Tribe members, Geraldine Stark, she launched a pilot of her company, Refarmed, that aims to transition dairy farms into producing oat milk instead of dairy. But as part of that transformation process, the farms also become animal sanctuaries so that their current livestock can live out their natural lives. Now, this pilot successfully transitioned three farms and Geraldine, she's now working towards getting the full business funded. That is a vegan company. That is a company that we can all ethically align with and get behind and choose to support because they are saving lives, not just producing oat milk. And Oatly, they can't claim that. So we know that there are 
vegan-owned and run companies making their own alternatives to dairy as a way to save the animals, not just to make a living. But as lazy customers, we tend to choose with brands whose products happen to be plant-based, but also on the supermarket shelves where we do our weekly shop, rather than buying from vegan companies. And giving in to convenience this way, it's okay to some extent. But it also means that we cannot then be surprised when these companies don't operate to the same standards as we would expect a vegan company to. But should we hold them to those same standards? If Oatly are responsible for taking market spend away from the dairy industry and introducing millions of people to plant milk, then as vegans, are they not delivering our agenda for us. As more people become familiar with plant milk, as that all becomes normalised, that opens up the market for more truly ethical vegan companies to sell into. The commercial pressure that companies like Oatly are bringing, that can be combined with our own activism and efforts to further educate people on why the dairy industry is just so horrendous. But now we can also signpost people to buy an alternative that they can just pick up off the supermarket shelf. Because no matter how worthy your cause or how much you can get someone to agree with you that our treatment of animals is just plain wrong, it's really hard to change people's buying habits. And this is a real barrier to many vegan businesses. And regardless of what our opinion is of Oatly as a company, the shift they have helped achieve is significant to us who champion the vegan movement. And we can also learn so much about how they've done it so that truly vegan-owned and run businesses, such as our members at Vegan Business Tribe, can learn how they can do it themselves, but with companies set up on vegan ethics. Because most food and drink companies, they follow a set route when they launch. So first, they sell locally to the people around them and then into a few local independent retailers until they reach the stage where they can produce enough product to sell through wholesale distribution, who then sell into lots more independent stores. Only then, when that demand is proven and an audience has already been built up, do the supermarkets start to take an interest. And this is pretty much where Oatly had got to when their CEO, Tony Peterson, joined in 2012. And remember, a lot of us look at Oatly and Beyond Meat as being these overnight vegan success stories. But Oatly launched in the 90s. They will soon be a 30-year-old company. But the big problem Oatly had was getting people to try the product in the first place. And the product was great. They knew it was great. And they knew that once someone had a good experience with it, then they would pick it up from the shelf and put it in their basket and become a regular customer. And they'd already identified that outside of Sweden, that America was going to be a huge potential marketplace for plant milks. But instead of going hard on advertising and public information campaigns to try and gain visibility when they launched in the US, instead, 
they concentrated on the one place where customers could experience the product as it was supposed to be used, and that's in coffee shops. Now, few customers sit down and drink plant milk in a glass. We put it in our drink, or we use it for cereal, or we make milkshakes out of it. So Oatly had to work out who were the gatekeepers of this marketplace? Who would be able to give consumers a great first experience of their product? And the answer was coffee shop owners. So, in a move of brilliance, which has since been copied by many other plant milk companies, Oatly didn't try to win over the general public to enter the American marketplace. They won over the coffee baristas. And these were the middle men and women between the customer and their product. If they could get the coffee shops using and promoting their product and the customers had a great experience of it, then that was half the battle won. And this all comes from them really understanding who their customer was. Because Oatly didn't try and partner up with Starbucks. They partnered up with boutique coffee shop chain or maybe even hipster coffee shop chain Intelligentsia first. Oatly developed a special barista blend of their product, which was thicker than other plant milks, meaning that the server, they could still create their lovely coffee art on the top of your cup using the Oatly product. And it was so successful that other chains were soon putting Oatly onto their menus. And it even led to a national shortage in 2018 that saw people reselling the product at $20 a carton as the company struggled to keep up with production. In a talk given by John Schoolcraft, who is Oatly's creative director, he stated that Oatly didn't develop customers. They developed friends and they started a movement because many of their early customers were introduced to Oatly by their local coffee shop owner. They felt they were part of an exclusive group of Oatly drinkers rather than being sold to by what was, even then, quite a large commercial operation. And Oatly, they embraced this as they grew. Their advertising campaigns, they're painted on the side of buildings and they carry subversive messages that you just wouldn't expect a large, valuable, established company to say. They acted as a cool startup when they were actually 20 years old. Their advertisements seemed to poke fun that they'd got you to stop and read the advert rather than promoting the actual product. It's the kind of really subversive, guerrilla-type marketing that you would expect from a challenger brand rather than the market leader. They call their team Oatpunks, and they even replaced their marketing department with the Oatly Department of Mind Control, okay? And a lot of their marketing, it takes place away from the actual product and simply looks to engage the consumer as if they were a friend. And although this worked, and it worked spectacularly, it's also the main source of a conflict that we see now. I mean, how would you react if you were to see your friend act like a bully? 
How can a company that was sued itself when it was much smaller now be taking legal action against a small family-owned brand that a consumer would never mistake for being Oatly? Well, the truth is, they were never actually really your friend. They are a publicly traded company who are bound by their shareholders to aggressively protect their brand and their intellectual copyright and trademarks, probably even if they didn't actually want to. This kind of legal activity is just daily activity for a business the size of Oatly. After the huge online campaign by fans of a brand to boycott the company after they took investment from Blackstone, Oatly saw absolutely zero impact on their sales. But I can't help thinking that as Oatly has grown, it's also been a missed opportunity to change and challenge the norms of big business. And again, I've had my own successful companies, but I doubt I will ever head up a company valued at several billion dollars. So it's easy for me to say all this as an observer. But can you grow a business to the size of Oatly and keep getting those ethical decisions right? Well, of course you can. And it might result in more cost and slower growth. But as their CEO, Tony Peterson, said, sometimes you have to give up margins to do good. Sometimes you have to give up a bit of your profitability to do good. And it's not just Oatly who are facing this dilemma. Other companies who have launched a movement as much as they have set up a business have hit the same growing pains. So real ale producer Brewdog, they launched their anti-business model called Equity for Punks in 2019, which allowed the customers to become their shareholders of their brewery. And we saw the creation of a similar challenger brand that grew 200% as a result of this. Now, Brewdog's latest funding round, that broke the world record for equity crowdfunding at over 126 million. But because they started this way, they too are now being held to a higher standard than other companies have been held to, with allegations of bullying from a group of former employees being made against the company, which led Brewdog to launch their own counterclaims back. But compare this with vegan chocolate company Moofree. And now you will also find Moofree in most supermarkets, but they set out to put ethics ahead of profits. They have 100% vegan factories that send zero waste to landfill. They have a policy to employ people who have got barriers to finding work. In fact, at one time, nearly a quarter of their workforce were people with autism. Look at Vegan Fried Chicken, or VFC as we're also known, who launched with a counter on their website estimating how many chickens' lives they have saved, and they just pursue a truly vegan mission. These are the things that make companies truly ethical, but there is no reason why an organisation can't have a big mission like Oatly's, without which, remember, the plant milk market would not be where it is today, but also keep those ethics at its core when it grows and when it scales up. So, 
To return to the title of this episode, what is going on with Oatly? Well, perhaps if Oatly was actually a vegan company, then this would be a different story. But what I want you to take away from this session today is remembering that you have something that Oatly do not. Because when you are a vegan company, you have a burning desire to make the world a fairer, cruelty-free place. When you have a vegan business, lives are literally at stake and that should impact everything you do. And that's why I love this new breed of vegan owned and run companies that are not just trying to knock animal products off the shelf, but they're holding themselves to account whilst doing it. Companies like VFC, One Planet Pizza and many others of that ilk. And what they have taught me is there is no reason at all why you can't turn a very good profit whilst doing good. In fact, you can do far more good in the world with a profit than you will ever do with a loss. Okay, and we're coming to the end of the episode now. And I know that I usually focus on teaching you a new skill in these sessions, but Oatly have popped up in conversation with so many people recently that I thought it would be worthwhile taking a closer look at what's actually going on there. And we are at an interesting point at the moment where plant-based companies, they're really piercing through into the mainstream and investors, they're falling over themselves to get a piece of the action. And this just makes it easier for all of us to get our own vegan businesses and products accepted by the mainstream. Okay, so that is it for this episode. And if you are building a vegan business at the moment and you want to link up with other people who are on the same journey as you, or if you just want to support our own mission at Vegan Business Tribe for skilling up the vegan business sector, then do come and check us out on veganbusinesstribe.com. Because as I said at the start, if you're not completely ready to join and get involved yet, then we've just rearranged our membership tiers. So you can now join as a fan for free and you will still get access to our weekly email and our weekly content. Or if you want full access to everything, then you can sign up as a full member for £12.99 a month. And that gives you full access to our website, our community and all the support you need to grow a successful vegan business. Or if you really believe in our mission, you can also join us as a patron for £99 a month to support the work we're doing and to give back to the vegan business sector. So thank you for your time. And I hope that we do see you over on the website too, or in our community on Slack, so that we can talk further about your mission. So thank you for listening. It's been brilliant having you. And I will see you on the next one.